Romans chapter 13. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, but not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. and Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Lord, come, lead, speak, teach. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. That following on the heels of that, yet another anointed worship time today and the second this morning, God, that you will fill me with your spirit, that I might proclaim words that are not my words, but that are your words, and pray the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts to be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Most of you know that my parents have been visiting. They just flew in from Pennsylvania about a week seven or eight days ago. Mom is 85, dad is 84. And they are robust as ever. And dad's already helped me fix the banister at the house. He fixed it. <laughs> He's got skills. Mom cooked a big Thanksgiving dinner. Incredible. They're just incredible folks. And um, we've had a lot of fun and a lot of food and pie. And uh, took him to the lighthouse yesterday. That was really great. And so grateful for the welcome. And what a place to show off to your family, you know, when they come and you probably know that when you've got people who are coming to visit you, uh, you get in the mode of preparation. And one of the things that I started doing when they we were planning to have them out here is I I got into I got into pulling together a bunch of family pictures. So I went down the rabbit hole of all these family pictures. I found an old drive that had a bunch on on Jill's side and our side and my side of the family. And because when you you're you're anticipating people coming. It gets you excited to get ready. And so I've been working on family pictures and getting frames for them and choosing which ones to put in what frames and family and friends who are like family and getting them all set up, getting ready, getting ready for the arrival. And now that mom and dad are here, now we have Christmas. And I don't know about you this weekend, but I've been on, a, I've been on about a 48-hour blitzkrieg of Christmas decorating. We had that yesterday here at the church, beautiful trees in here, got everything up and ready to go, got the tree in, in my office, which looks resplendent and awesome. I'm a little bleary-eyed today from all the, all the busyness, but it's been fun. And the bottom line is, I can't believe how much I've gotten done on the home front in the last two weeks. I didn't know I had it in me. But you know, there is something, there is something about anticipating an arrival. When we get excited about an arrival, it's like we're participating in someone's coming even before they get here. To be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, is to live 
into and live out of excitement over the one who has come and who will come again and to prepare your life and the world around you for that. Because in the arrival of Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. Paul writes to the early church at Corinth. Corinth, which is where he was writing, we think this, he was writing this letter to Rome, the Roman church from. He wrote to Corinth in the Second Corinthians saying, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, he said. So in his coming, in his life, and death, resurrection, and ascension, we see the world through new glasses. We have a new world, we have a new view of the world as, an, as the subject of God's grace. We have a new view of sinners as forgiven. We have a new view of death as defeated. We have a new view of our little corner of reality, wherever it is, little shop, little stand, little desk, little corner, little couch, little living room, becomes a little stage on which to reflect a big reality. Jesus reigns. This is the point of view we're to take. This is what it means to live Awake, according to Paul in verse 11. We're spiritually awake when we see the world through these new lenses. Paul urges the early church at Rome to behave, to behave in a certain way because he says, our salvation is nearer now. Scholar N.T. Wright points out that the word here refers to the, the salvation. The word salvation refers to the final day when God will renew all things in Christ and give all who believe in him their glorious risen bodies. And the sense, as Dr. Wright says, the sense of that event is that it is a rescue from disaster. Paul offers this, Dr. Wright says, as a reminder to us that though the passage of time seems to move without much change, we should not forget that the great future moment is steadily coming closer. Though the passage of time seems to move without much change, we should not forget that the great future moment is steadily coming closer. That's what Advent means, by the way. It's Latin. Adventus means coming. The victory has been initiated in his first coming. It's begun. And this victory will be completed when he comes again. And now we wait and we anticipate living off the first fruits of that first victory of his resurrection. We decorate our lives with grace and with mercy and with hope. We put up pictures of salvation, of rescue in our hearts and minds that are awake to the grace and hope that we have in Jesus as forgiven sinners, as messed up people whom he loves anyway. But as we celebrate the anticipation of of Christ's first coming and we celebrate the anticipation of Christ's second coming and we like putting up pictures of Christmas and trees and lights, 
the first picture we need to take a good hard look at, like if we're putting up pictures for family as relatives coming to town and we're so excited about them. But the first picture Paul wants us to take a look at is a picture of ourselves. He says, so let us, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. We can't ignore the darkness that surrounds us, but we can live out of the light that God gives us. We put lights in our homes this time of year. But what Paul wants us to consider is whether we light up whatever space we're in or whether we darken it. This is a conscious decision on our part to avoid the darkness and stay in the light. Someone was telling me the other day that when they hang out with certain friends and they get on a certain topic, the conversation gets negative. Certain topic about current affairs. And things get real negative. And things start to spin down, down, and down, and negative, and negative, and negative. And this person said what they've learned is there's a certain things in certain directions that they need to just avoid in conversation because that's not helpful. Sometimes it's helpful. You, you can confront hard things in a helpful way. But what this person discerns is, you know, when, when, this, when I'm with this, these dear people and we go in that direction, it's not a healthy, helpful way. It's moving toward darkness instead of the light. Well, that's exactly what Paul means here. Put it aside. Don't scroll through certain images. Our son Jack recently scrolled through some images on his device. And we already have protection set up on his little device. But I think he saw something on TikTok TikTok or something like that. And it scared him. It scared him and he told us about it. And like I said, we already had limits on it. We put, we put more limits on it to protect him from darkness. Sometimes you've got to do that. Got to put limits. Each of us knows what grabs us. And so we know what we have to put off. We know what entices us in the darkness. So we know what we have to walk away from. Paul says, put it off. Put off whatever distracts you from decorating your life with the hope and promise that is ours in Jesus. Judgment, negativity, dissension. The early church at Rome, we think one of the issues why Paul may have written this is that there was a issue between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians in the town. And we'll get to this a little bit later, but Paul has to remind them hey, you're all sinners. <laughs> and so Paul's addressing and saying, hey, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, don't think you're, you're better than or, or, or less than. Since our salvation is nearer now, we must put all that stuff off. Since our salvation is nearer now, we must not treat the scary stuff like it's ultimate. Or worse, we must not let the scary stuff cause us to be scary. A lot of Christians seem to think, I'm not thinking particularly of specific people in this church, but there are certain people who call themselves Christians around the country who seem to think that because the times have gotten scary, 
that it gives them the right to be scary in how they talk. Some Christians apparently think because the times have gotten hard that it gives them the right to be hard. They hit you, you hit them harder. Don't take that, you know, fight back. This is not the language of Paul here. Paul says, put aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light. And then he goes further, he says, let us behave decently. As in the daytime, not in carousing or dark drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Notice how quickly he gets into the, you know, the deep, naughty nasties. <laughs> he goes there. One scholar puts it, we sh- he says we should walk, which is parapateo, or behave decently, which suggests behavior that is careful and restrained. We are to avoid, in contrast, those actions typical of the nighttime Unrestrained sexual conduct, drinking to excess. Paul concludes his list with some unexpected terms, a scholar says, dissension and jealousy. And this, this goes to the issues that were apparently going on in Rome. Uh, we don't know, uh, as one scholar um, put, David Allen Powell puts it in his book on the New Testament. He's a Lutheran scholar. He actually wrote a book on Christian music too. It's a great New Testament book. And he has a great section there where he talks about, we don't know exactly how Christianity came to Rome or who was responsible for it, but maybe there were churches that were established gradually as Christians moved from other places to the capital city of the empire. In any case, there appeared to have been a surprising number of Christians in Rome by the year 49, which is interesting. That's pretty fast, right? And in that year, though, the emperor Claudius expelled... Uh, a segment of the Jewish population due to what the historian Suetonius calls a disturbance over Crestus. Now this is attested outside of scripture. So this is one of these spots in scripture, in, in, in historical um, writings where we have an, at, an apparent at, attestation of Christ outside of scripture with this figure Crestus who's widely considered to be Christ, Greek is for Christos, um, and I think we just missed the letter there. And the thinking is that part, some of the Jews who were expelled included Jews who believed in Jesus. You can see in Acts 18.2, learn about this. So Dr. Powell points out that within 20 years of the crucifixion of Jesus, there appear to have been enough Christians in Rome to create a disturbance worthy of the emperor's attention. Which kind of can make you proud in a way. <laughs> for that quick, we get, we get feisty. But also sad another way, right? It shows the power, the unexpected power of of this movement that came out of nowhere without any centralized oomph behind it and arose. That is fascinating just from a historical, sociological perspective that there's attestation of this outside of scripture, right? From Suetonius. But when Claudius died in 54, the Jews whom he expelled began to trickle back. And as Dr. Powell points out, scholars believe that perhaps one of the reasons why Paul wrote this letter is because there were issues between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians who returned because now there was a regime, there had been a regime change. There could have been, there was some kind of a shift in power in the interim. And now the Gentiles are in charge as the Jewish Christians come back and now they're fighting. And even today, in whatever church you go into, there's, there's dissension. There just is. It just is human, right? Whatever church, even, even the, the best churches. 
that's not unusual and there's something encouraging about that, right? That this, that that didn't just start now. That this has been going on since the first century. So Paul, when he talks about putting on the light, he's not just talking about the external forces of culture that are going to challenge us. He's also talking about the stuff inside the church that challenge us. That is kind of normalized by the New Testament. Not accepted, but just normalized as a typical struggle that Christians have, right? We struggle with each other too. Any church you go to is going to have this. So we see this call to ethical living in response to the light that has come in Jesus Christ. We are to stay in it at every level. Our sexuality, our appetites, our relationships, everything. And Paul says in verse verse 14, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. What does it mean to put on Christ? I like what I like what N.T. Wright says about putting on Christ. He says, we may suppose that Paul has in mind the spiritual discipline through daily prayer and meditation of invoking Jesus himself as Lord. You get up in the morning and like you're putting on clothes, put on the picture of Jesus Christ as a Lord of all. And then savior of all. So he's Lord of all, sovereign over you and everybody else. And he's savior of all, which means he's able to rescue anybody from harm. I don't know about you, but if someone has children and a wife I love so much, whenever they leave my presence, I I always say to my wife, be careful, watch out. Sometimes we'll joke, we'll say, watch out for grizzlies, watch out, you know, watch out, be careful. Someone said the decision to have a child is the decision to let your heart wander outside your body. And the decision to love is to risk by letting those loved ones go into the world, right? And that becomes an opportunity as we let our loved ones go into the world of darkness that is combative and scary, that also becomes an opportunity to trust God with it and clothe ourselves with Christ as we let them go, as we let them go out. And so I love what Dr. Wright says every day, just picture as maybe instead of telling Jill to be careful, I should just invoke the name of Jesus over her quietly in my heart and trust, right? Jesus, Jesus is her savior and Lord. Did you notice as well, there's a call here to take responsibility for our own thought life. Did you notice that? This is what he ends here with. Salvation being nearer, right, means we have to take a look in the mirror, <laughs> for sure. That's the focus here. So he says, salvation is near, therefore, not, you know, go attack anybody who disagrees with Christianity or not go retreat and go hide up on the hill. No, salvation is nearer, so go look in the mirror at yourself. Put on Christ. Put off these bad behaviors, right? But even more than that, give yourself a spiritual x-ray because he says in verse 14, do not even think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Don't even think about it. Now think about this. In the midst of a combative cultural situation, in the midst of dissension between these groups of people in the church, 
what is Paul calling them to in staying the course? He says, look at yourself first. Jesus is saying, take the log out of your own eye before you take it out of someone else's, right? Same consistent things, right? Don't even think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Does that convict you? Don't even think about it. The end of the passage here, this call to not even think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature, this really calls us to an attentiveness to our interior lives. As we get ready for the coming of the king and the baby Jesus, as we anticipate that first coming, as we anticipate his second coming, as we spruce up the joint and put up lights and trees and decorations, that's awesome. That's proclamatory. That is so, I love our trees. I love the tree in my office. Those are good things. But we go deeper, which is we also look at renovating ourselves on the inside Asking myself to, come, to look at this text, which tells me, hey, Matthew, don't even think about it. Don't even think about gratifying your sin nature. If we're honest about it, I think sometimes we give ourselves maybe in some way, shape, or form a little too much space up here in our thought life, right? And Paul is saying, all right, you want to really decorate and set up the place, set up the place for God's arrival in the baby Jesus in the second coming? Yep, do all those things exteriorly, that's great. But take responsibility for your thought life too. Our passage ends with a word about what's underneath. Even as you confront all that is exteriorly challenging to our faith, even as we live in the midst of an empire in whatever way that competes with God, right? The challenge is to look on the inside at your own heart and let the Lord renovate our own tendency to think too much on sin, to scroll in the bad places, whatever way, right? To look to our own appetites to satisfy us in whatever way, to skew the good gifts God gives us and turn them into something that takes place of him, right? And as we do that, we realize God doesn't just want a house decorated, nice that is. God wants your heart. God wants my heart. God wants us all. And with a renovated heart and with a lit up heart, and we're all works in progress on this for sure. That's what we're here to do together. Who do you have in your life whom you can talk about your interior life with? I hope you have multiple people and that's what we're here to help facilitate. As we do that together, he renovates us from the inside out, takes us to a new place and we live decorating the world for his arrival and we live captivated by the one who is to come and discovering day by day he's already here. May it be so for you and for me in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. Bless us now. Thank you for your grace and mercy. We all need to be renovated. Thank you for your patience with us in that. Help us in our decorating, in our putting up our wonderful decorations to let you on the inside to bring light in our hearts. And that way we can be light 
for the world of the one in whom we hope. In Jesus' name, amen.